Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 57th episode, it's the return of Kit Walker. Along the way, we discuss the secret to always winning at Rock, Paper, Scissors, how to write 40,000 words of M-rated Teen Wolf fanfic with no fucking, and how to brute force the Tomb of Horrors. Spoiler. It involves expendable bards. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Stand up, stand up, bang your drum. For those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? I'm Kit Walker. I am a writer and podcaster type person. I already did my quasi-elemental plane of salt joke and I didn't have a new one prepped, so I'm kind of at a loss here. <laughs> my boss called me a tiny red-haired technology gremlin the other day, so I feel like that works. Well, you were a fashion witch last time, so technology gremlin. I don't know if that's a sideways step or... I think it's just another thing to add to the resume, really. And for those folks who want to hear about where Kit grew up, her backstory and such, you can head on back to way back to episode 10, where Kit and I talked about Bionicle and Beast Wars, and then we fell down a ditch talking about Transformers more than meets the eye, and the whole show kind of ground to a halt. Yeah, but before you can listen to that, you have to give me like at least three trinkets and ask me about meaningless shit before you can unlock my tragic backstory. (laughs) And beat you at rock, paper, scissors like an ass kid. Yeah, well, you can't beat me at rock, paper, scissors. Every once in a while when I'm playing... Playing Dungeons and Dragons, I will trick the DM into letting me challenge someone to rock, paper, scissors, and I always win. Okay, this sounds like a secret strategy. Are you at liberty to reveal it? (laughs) Yeah, sure. I don't think either of my DMs listen to this. So the first time was when we were playing Horde of the Dragon Queen, and we had already, like, gone way off book. We're supposed to sneak into this cave full of cultists, but we ran into a bunch of hunters who, like, hunted food for the cultists in exchange for money. So we offered them more money to let us poison the food. Mm. And the DM was like, well, that's not going to kill them instantly. It just means that they'll have the poison condition. They were like, that's fine. So we go in. We managed to fight our way all the way to the boss without really having to do much fighting because everyone's like, basically everyone's got the shits. They're having a bad time. (laughs) So we finally get to the boss and the DM's like, okay, so the boss doesn't really want to fight you, so... Here's a conversation. But the boss is still not really being cooperative with our questioning. So I was like, here, how about this? We want something from you, which is information. You want something from us, which is to go away. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see who wins. And the DM fell for it. And best two out of three, I completely annihilated the boss of the dungeon at rock, paper, scissors and got to question him freely until one of our other party members basically insulted his honor and he attacked us. (laughs) <laughs> Why you gotta aggro the boss? Basically, yeah. And the second time was in my work D&D game, where again, I was... This game's a little goofier than Horde of the Dragon Queen, so we were in Prospector Mike's Magical Mirror Maze. Okay. <laughs> and room two was a puzzle where you go to a mir- in front of a mirror, and you see yourself in the mirror, but nobody else. So you have to go through the mirror and talk to your doppelganger and convince them to give you a key to one of the three locks on the door to the next room. So I go in. I'm playing a lizard folk, so I'm already pretty chill. My doppelganger is also really chill. So after staring at each other for a couple of seconds, I'm like, rock, paper, scissors, whoever wins gets the key. And my doppelganger's like, sure. And again, I completely annihilate the boss at rock, paper, scissors and get the key. And yeah, there's only so many times my DMs are going to fall for this, but... (laughs) Rock, paper, scissors is your zone of truth. Yeah, it is. It is my zone of truth. And like, it's almost cheating, but not quite. It's basically the DM massively underestimating my ability. I don't have a lot of really good skills, but I am very good at rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> so so what was the actual strategy? Like, how do you win two out of three with reliability? 
it's a lot of psychology. Most people start with scissors. Okay. So I will usually start with rock. I will also occasionally start with scissors just so we both get scissors and have to do another round. Just so, you know, to knock the other person off of balance. So they have to start like picking at random. And after that, it's just mind games. It's... <laughs> Kid, are you telling me that your secret strategy for rock, paper, scissors is to be really good at rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> I can't explain it. That may be the most Kit Walker thing you've ever said. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to explain, okay? My partner, Kimiko, was talking to her older sister at one point about being stressed about, you know, being a new mom and things. And I heard her older sister say this thing, which may have been, like, again, the most prototypical thing I've ever heard her say that is very her, which is, look, why are you getting stressed about this? Just don't be stressed. And they were having a Skype conversation out loud, so I had to quickly cover my mouth and leave the room. From the- it's like, have you tried not being on fire? Because, <laughs> hey, being on fire is great, and it's worked for you for a while. I'm not saying that being on fire is a bad thing, but, you know, there are other ways to be, so you could just, you know, be one of those. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't have an explanation for how to be good at rock, paper, scissors. It's mostly just look the other person in the eye and just intimidate them into fucking up. (laughs) That's it. That's all I got. Sound strategies for a happier life. (laughs) It's like you meet someone for the first time, you look them in the eye and you go, hey, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Look them in the eye like you've been sent to kill Captain America. Or slip something into the conversation about how you don't mind going back to prison. (laughs) Incidentally, this strategy also works for job interviews. (laughs) So anyway. (sighs) This is a hell of a tangent to end up on. I was going to say, we're we're in the ditch already. (laughs) Listen, you said that we we didn't need to do any prep. There was no formal structure. We could just talk about whatever. And now we're here. And now we're here. And you know what, Kit? I'm going to be able to put us even further into the ditch. Kit, tell me about Teen Wolf. Oh, fuck me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm not sure where I'm not sure where to start here. Well, see, Michael J. Fox was a person, and <laughs> he played basketball. Also, there was a sequel with Justin Bateman where he boxed. Trying to start at the beginning of my story with Teen Wolf. The short version is, is that I used to watch Teen Wolf, and I haven't for a couple of years, but it's the last season now that's airing, and they're apparently bringing my favorite character back for, like, a cameo and some bullshit, so I'm like, fuck, of course I have to watch this, which meant that I had to catch up on all the seasons I skipped, which were terrible. But, okay, the origin story of me watching Teen Wolf, and I feel like I need to justify this because it's a bad choice that I made, is that I work in the video game industry, and I used to do a lot of contract work, which meant that there would be periods of months between me working. Like, I had the money to not die, but I had a lot of time on my hands. I had recently quit watching Supernatural because it was a bad show, and always Mm -hmm. was. (laughs) But all of the people I knew from Supernatural were jumping ship over to this show Teen Wolf, and they're like, it's really stupid, but it's really fun. So I checked it out, and it was really stupid, but it was kind of fun. Or at least it was for the first season, which was also the best season, and by best I mean the one with the most narrative cohesion. After watching the first season, I hadn't written fan fiction for like 10 years by this point, but I kind of started turning some ideas over in my head and I liked some of the characters enough that I felt the need to like flesh them out. So I started writing uh, my first Teen Wolf fanfic, which turned out to be 40,000 words long, rated M with no fucking in it, a crime for which I will eventually be prosecuted under international war crimes law. (laughs) And after that, like season two had started airing and people were really liking the fanfic I wrote. So I I was like, fuck, I guess I got to watch season two and rewrite that too. And I got a little more (laughs) off track with that one in terms of like, the first one was basically a straight rewrite, like an AU twist on it. The second one got even more AU. And before I had realized it, I had written approximately... 200,000 words of Teen Wolf fanfic. Holy shit. Yeah, so, (laughs) and then I stopped watching the show for a while, but I left a series unfinished. And now that I'm rewatching- I thought you were going to say you stopped watching the show, but you continued writing the fanfic. Let's not get stupid. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah, I I left a series unfinished and I was like, oh, I'll get back to it. Because by this point, I had started writing professionally and I needed to prioritize like the stuff that got me paid versus the stuff that like I did for fun. So a couple of years go by, I stopped watching Teen Wolf. I get news that my favorite character is coming back in the, the second half of the sixth season. I'm like, fuck. For a cameo and some bullshit. And for a cameo and some bullshit. And then I start getting messages from people asking if I'm ever going to finish this series. And I'm like, fuck, I guess I'm going to do it. 
So I have to get caught up on the show. And I got caught up on the show, and now I'm working on the fanfic, but I hate everything about the show, so... <laughs> You're the zero cool <laughs> of Teen Wolf fanfiction. Jesus Christ, and I've got a full-time job now. I've got a full-time writing job now, which means that I am writing at work for eight hours a day, and then I'm going home, and I am writing Teen Wolf fanfic for three more hours. <laughs> It's like that, I forget which comic it was, it was one of the webcomics, where it was a stick figure sitting in front of a computer at work, and then it's like, ah, quit in time, now I can go home and do whatever I want, cut to same stick figure in front of a computer at home. I will say that this throat infection has given me plenty of time to get caught up on Teen Wolf because there's surprisingly little you can do when you can't talk. So that was my sick time, was cough syrup and Teen Wolf, that was an experience. So here's the thing, uh-huh. and I'm going to ask this question, and feel free to veto this, and I'm happy to cut this out because this may be a personal question. Okay? Yes. The majority of the Teen Wolf fandom that I've seen is an excessively thirsty fandom. Yes. And I have heard Annie say on Gem Jam that you're both queer and ace. Yep. So does that affect your viewing of the show? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, that's fine. A lot of the reason that a lot of people jumped ship from Supernatural is because they were largely very thirsty women who were into dudes and the show had a lot of shirtless dudes in it. I'm less interested in that aspect of it, which I will point out. So yeah, that part was never really like a draw for me. I was interested in that it seemed to be making an effort, at least at first, of including more queer characters and not operating under the base assumption that every character was straight. Now, the show shat the bed about that a lot later, but at first, that that was kind of interesting to me. And then when it came to writing the fanfic, I knew that nobody would read it if I didn't have, like, the major flagship pairing in it. So I did that. And then when I wrote the M-rated 40,000-word fic with no fucking in it, I realized from the comments (laughs) that I was actually going to have to write some porn, which... If you've ever read a Toast article called Erotica written by an alien pretending not to be disgusted by the human body, that's what my sex scenes read like. At least in the first draft. (laughs) I'm not sure if anyone actually likes the sex scenes. They're always very perfunctory for me. (laughs) You can always just cut away some curtains and come back and everyone's smoking. Yeah, I've tried that on a couple occasions. I've left it vague on a couple of occasions when I didn't feel like... like, Because I get wordy with my sex scenes. They always, like, bloat the word count of that chapter by at least a half. So I'm not really enthusiastic about cramming one in, um, if you'll excuse the really (laughs) gross, really gross metaphor that just popped into my head right now. Oh my god. You just... This, this episode is going to be, like, I'm going to be pushing the limits of what is actually allowed on your podcast. I'm going to tell you that now. What is it with Gem Gem alumni and freaking <laughs> the show? Any Kit and Mac are, like, three for three. Any twice, in fact. Because Eddie's return has been recorded by now. Yeah, well, huh. listen, we do a PG-rated podcast day in, day out. There's a build-up, and there's, like, a little vent in our heads that we have to let off every once in a while. There was a thing in Mythbusters where they had to test whether if your bumper became superheated, it would launch itself off of your car. And so, of course, they started just by sticking a blowtorch on a car bumper and just heating it to see what would happen. And they got to a certain point and suddenly there's a little hole on the bottom of the bumper and it just started whistling like a tea kettle. And so the temperature super dropped. And then Adam Savage looks at Jamie and goes, that's probably what that's there for. (laughs) See, yeah, that's basically how it works with Gem Jam cast members and the really disgusting stuff. It's like, yeah, that, that's what this podcast is here for, is so that we can ruin your podcast so we don't ruin ours. <laughs> I think the most off-the-rails one was when my friend David James Young was on and was actually at this dining table at which I sit, enthusiastically explaining why the songs, why the lyrics of Too Close make no fucking sense. Because <laughs> he's just like, he's screaming, Yes, he's making you're making it hard for me. You are literally doing that. That's how dicks work. And he's screaming this like two feet from me. And I was having trouble breathing. And it like my <laughs> my side of that recording is just me going <gasps> It's too bad. Oh, love you, DJY. <laughs> so yeah, I've written werewolf porn. It's not very good because I don't actually like werewolf porn. The question is, though, do you go into all of the other weird animals that are not usually mentioned? I don't do nodding fic, generally, just because I couldn't find a way to incorporate it into the mythology that worked. (laughs) And I feel like if I were to do nodding fic, I'd have to really commit to the premise. I'd have to build an entire fantasy world about it. This is an important understand about my fanfic. I can't do anything halfway, so I basically built an entire, like, AU, so alternate universe divergent canon 
with its own rules and its own, like, I did actual, like, shit tons of research on mythology to do this. And I, like, have a wiki where I've worked out, like, how the werewolves work and how hellhounds work and what the different species of monster are and what their associations are with each other. And I keep track of each character, like, their birthdays, how tall they are, so I can look at a glance to see if someone's two inches taller than the other. And it's like, yeah, I'm in deep. (laughs) No, the reason I asked, I had a particular answer in mind when I asked about other animal-type weirs is because my friend Maria Lewis has written a book called Who's Afraid and a second book called Who's Afraid 2, T-O-O, because Teen Wolf. At one point, I don't know how we got there, someone discussed like a weir orca, like as in like you turned into an orca at the full moon. And I mean, somebody's probably written Kindle porn of it. Oh, yeah. Thing is, it's like I said that was a bad idea because the Beast Wars character Torca is a thing. And then <laughs> I, I linked to a picture of Torca and everyone is just like, oh, Jesus, what have you done? <laughs> You've ruined it. You've ruined the premise of where Orcus. <laughs> I'm going to drop my favorite image of Torca. Oh, because God. listeners, go to Google and type in T-O-R-C-A space Beast Wars, and you will see this picture. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What have you done? I can't believe you've done this. How is that an Orca? <laughs> because Torca is a fusor, and it's like half elephant, half Orca. <laughs> oh, no. And the tongue of the Orca is right in the middle of Torca's chest. And so it'd be like you're tasting everyone you ever hugged. (laughs) That might be the worst thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. Also, how did I miss Torca? I knew about all the other weird-ass Fusors, but I didn't know about this one. And there's the toy, which is equally as disturbing. Oh, no, that's just downright sinister. (laughs) You know what it kind of looks like is... What? I don't know if you play D&D, but there's a monster called a bullet... Like B U L E T T E. It's like a land shark type thing, and it looks a lot like. Oh, this. yeah, land sharks. Yeah, yeah. Just like how there was a toy that I had that was Air Hammer, which was clearly they had an Air Razor mold and they stuck a hammerhead shark on the, on the head. And I'm like, that's actually a cool toy. And then they tried to do a Beast Machine shark that was meant to be the same character. And the robot form actually looked like something out of Evangelion, and it was bad. <laughs> See if I can find it. When you said, uh, like, where animal type, like, so close to the porn thing, I thought you were talking about whether we there was, like, dog dicks involved in my werewolf porn, which there is not. <laughs> which is why my answer to that was so fucking weird. <laughs> it is okay. But no, I, I don't do a lot of, like, different where animals, because part, thing one, that I feel like, you know, once you cross that bridge, you can't uncross it, and next thing you know, there's were orcas. And, like, <laughs> thing two, part of the premise of the fantasy world that I built around my bullshit Teen Wolf fanfiction is that werewolves are on the verge of extinction. So the more were creatures I cram into the setting, the more it strains that premise. Ah, gotcha. By the way, here is... Hammer Strike, look at this photo and tell me that someone had not been watching a lot of Neon Genesis Evangelion. When now, they see, I've this never one. seen Neon Genesis Evangelion, so I'm not going to be a reliable... Wow, that's a thing. <laughs> it doesn't even have a face. It just has a pointy thing above its torso. You know, this isn't not in line with a lot of the other Beast Machines design I've seen. What the <laughs> fuck is up with that crossbow head, though? Because <laughs> they had to give it a weapon, and none of the Beast Machines characters that were good guys were allowed to have guns. Hence Tior with his weird scimitar things. Hence Optimus Primal, like, redirecting energy and shit like that. Only the Viacons were allowed to have guns, because pacifism. I am also sending a picture of Hammerstrike looking kind of happy and having a good time. Oh, I don't like that. I do not like that face. I don't know why those teeth are upsetting me so badly, but they are. <laughs> uh- I will make it better. Hey, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's slightly better. <laughs> Coming back off of Transformers, because how did how did this happen again? We always end up there. I don't I don't get it. All roads lead to Iacon. Yep. Just coming back to Teen Wolf and sort of the types of series that Teen Wolf is, is that I think there was just like every once in a while I'll walk through the TV section of my local JB Hi-Fi or something. And I'll see, like, all of these series that must have come out somewhere around between 2006 and 2011, and they all seem to have the same kind of, like, government organization monster hunter premise. Mm. Like, Warehouse 13 and Haven, and then there was, God, there was, I think there was one called Hyperion. There was a, a revival of Ultraviolet, that one with all the vampires, and just, like, all of these ones that just had the same concept, but all of the DVD covers were indistinguishable from one another. 
It's like how everything was like Fifty Shades of Grey for like a couple of months there. Yep. Teen Wolf, to its credit, does not have that premise. Teen Wolf is a lot closer to those romance novels where somebody gets turned into a werewolf and then has to navigate a lot of like pack politics and like have sex with the hot alpha and stuff like that. But with a, this has a male protagonist with a boy who falls in love with a girl from a werewolf hunting family, or at least that's the premise of the first season. And then it just kind of dissolves further after that because it's a show that like wants to be be a monster of the week show but instead it's a monster of the season show and so like every single season arc draws out like way too long so like they get halfway through the season and be like okay by the natural property of the story this is where the climax should be but we have eight more episodes right yeah what can we fill <laughs> well i mean like okay so we're gonna get deep into team wolf lore here and i'm sorry for that kit we have just referenced torka and hammer strike <laughs> i think our listeners are okay with references to deep lore what listeners they're fucking gone they're fucking <laughs> gone the moment you said all roads lead to iacon they're like this is too much this is too much nerd shit even for this show <laughs> but please there's like two people listening to this show by now and one of them is my own mother <laughs> anyway so the first season which i said was the the one that has the best story construction teen boy goes out into the woods with his best friend and gets bitten by a werewolf starts turning into a werewolf meets this other like 20 something werewolf who at first he thinks is the dude that bit him but actually it's like this third mysterious werewolf who's an alpha, and you can tell because he's like got red glowing eyes and shit. And the whole <laughs> mystery of the season is trying to figure out who the alpha is and why he bit the main character and what he wants because the alpha is like murdering people throughout the series who it seems random at first, but then it turns out that they were all tied back. Like they were all connected to a fire that happened at like older werewolf dude's house when he was a kid. And, like, it turns out the Alpha was also in the house because he's older werewolf dude's uncle. And I'm not explaining it very well, but understand that this is the most narratively coherent the show has ever been. Oh, shit. This sounds like a combination of I Know What You Did Last Summer and the later series of Chuck, where they decided that every relative of his was also a spy. Yes, basically that. But, like, yeah, it, it actually ties together because there's, like, narrative resonance between, like, the main character and his girlfriend and older werewolf dude and his ex-girlfriend who is, like the main character's girlfriend's aunt and the like those two characters had a thing and then she burned his house down so it's like a they're a dark mirror <laughs> of main couple and like everything ties back to this one event in the past so the theme is like the events of the past haunting the future and the cycle of violence and it's still not particularly well written but it's approaching something good it's like it's you could see where it could be good and unfortunately yeah. they tried to keep the same general season structure for like three more seasons and it started to fall apart because the thing that happened in the past started getting less and less connected to the main characters until it was finally just like a random thing happened in the past. Here's these two factions fighting each other. Also, the main characters are involved a bit. <laughs> it got to the point where the main characters had like no fucking reason to be there. And then they tried to switch up the season structure. But by that point, it became apparent that the writers didn't know how to make any other season structure work. So season five was like really long and drawn out and just meandered for a really long ass time before it finally hit the climax, which wasn't very good. And then season six, so far as they've separated into two 10 episode arcs, which means instead of being long and poorly written, it's rushed and poorly written. Oh, man. And also the wild hunt is there and they're zombie cowboys and there was a were-lion Nazi. What? what? Yeah, there's a, the, one of the villains of the season is a Nazi from World War II who's a were-lion. And, like, he might have control over the Wild Hunt. It's never really made clear. Like I said, it's all very rushed and very perfunctory. And Someone went, oh, hey, Nazis love the Earl King and the Wild Hunt, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't think we should do any research into this. That, that's oh, a, a known it's... fact that everyone knows. This thing is called the Wild Hunt. It's a bunch of zombie cowboys. Oh, no. This guy. Yeah, no. it's, it's, the, it's the Wild Hunt in name only. They're just throwing supernatural shit at the wall to see what sticks at this point. So it's that scene from Blues Brothers 2000 where they play ghost riders in the sky and giant skeletal cowboys appear over the state fair. Yes. <laughs> yes, that sentence that I said made complete sense. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> that's what this season was. But now it's in like the second half of the sixth season, which is the final season. And so far, it's, again, looking very rushed and very perfunctory. And they're going to cram in all the characters that left the show because this show hemorrhages talent like crazy. Gee, I wonder why. Guess what your motivation is today? You hate this weird lion. 
Oh, God. And a lot of the characters don't even have, like, one of the actors who plays my favorite character, the actor's name is Tyler Hecklin, and he plays a character named Derek Hale, who's like older werewolf guy in that season one explanation I did. He's full of angst. My favorite character in anything is always the same character, which is like the character with PTSD who is constantly surrounded by annoying teenagers. <laughs> I don't know why that's my favorite character, but it is every time. I can say, though, that I think with a, a show like that, I think you're going to get two type of actor reactions, reactions, something like that. I think one of them is going to be that, you know, I'm just along for the ride. I know what I'm reading is ridiculous. You know, cool. I'm getting paid. I'm having fun. Also known as the Nathan Villian. Yep. Or you get someone who goes real deep into the, like, Stanislavski deep actor stuff of understanding <laughs> and living their character. Right. They get fucking and, method with it. Yeah, and the only example I can think of, because I am who I am and I'm living my truth, is in the uh, behind-the-scenes interviews for Lord of the Rings, when they're talking to Sean Astin. Oh, God. About fighting the spider. And so it's like, oh, he basically had to throw himself around a, a foam rock canyon with a sword and pretend to see the spider. <laughs> and what he said was, one of the cameramen, after one of his takes was like, oh man, that was really cool. I almost felt like I could see the spider. And Sean Astin, because he's, he's an asshole, said, yeah, man, I could see the spider. And I'm like, shut up, Sean Astin. No, you couldn't. <laughs> uh, I remembered. I remembered what, what I was explaining who this character was. Good. My Sean Astin story has served a purpose. The thing is, it's not even necessarily that what they're doing is ridiculous. It's that the ridiculous things... Like, it's, it's just a bad show to work on, near as I can tell. I mean, at one point you have this character, Derek, who's like, has a love scene with like uh, a woman who turns out to be the main villain of the season because they keep repeating plot points. And right before they have this scene, the showrunner comes to him and says, oh, by the way, the last person you fell in love with, you killed her. What? What? <laughs> Hecklin was apparently like, what? 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 Why didn't I get this information before right this second? It's a show that doesn't manage its own lore or its own timeline very well. Character motivations are a great big question mark a lot of the time and scripts are coming in at the last minute. So it's like, it's no wonder that people are le like leave this show in droves because it must suck to work on it. Incidentally, all the characters they're bringing back for the final half of season six are mostly the white male characters. All of the characters of color and all the women uh, who left the show just got killed off. I was hoping that sentence would end a different way, but no, it didn't, did it? Nope. <laughs> God damn it. One time, there's a character who was on the show, Arden Cho. She only found out she was fired from the show when she saw a press release about it. Oh. Yeah. That's that's not good. Yeah. Hey, showrunners, do better, please. <laughs> anyway, we've got 51 minutes of Teen Wolf on the meter now. <laughs> Fuck my life. <laughs> Want to know my other thing that I know about Sean Astin? What else do you know about Sean Astin? Apparently when they were up on one of the mountains filming in the mountains of New Zealand and everything had to be helicoptered in, and the first thing that would be brought up is, you know, a few of the crew, then the actors, then a bunch of the heavy shit. And so a lot of the actors were just like sitting around waiting for shit to get started. And they were sitting there, all the guys who played the Hobbits were sitting there and staring around and kind of just chatting. And they're like, oh, where's Sean? And then Elijah Wood goes, oh, he's directing in the choppers over there. He had gone to the helipad and was like using NATO approved hand signals to guide in the helicopters. Holy shit. <laughs> you, you could be a little less yourself for like 20 minutes, Sean Astin. Just like, yeah, Sean Astin, can you maybe chill? Just like take it down. Like, you're at a 10, we need you at, like, a 4. <laughs> Jesus so, Christ. <laughs> yeah. So what now? What else you got? <laughs> I don't know. You want to talk about Dungeons & Dragons some more? We could. Actually, you know what? I will ask you a little bit about Gem before we get further. Okay. The Gem Gem is going to be wrapping up with the cartoon very soon. Yes. Because you're coming to the end of what is the extent Gen canon before you get to the comics, which are, by the way, stepping into the fucking cosmic scope, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> crisis on infinite gems i'm very excited i'm very excited about it so my question to you is having now gone through the gem canon or the, the gem mm -hmm. and I, don't, I don't know what the portmanteau for that would be the gem cartoon has your appreciation for it changed in any way since you first decided yeah i'll do an episode by episode gem and the holograms recap podcast yeah sure well the way this worked was that a couple of years before we started the gem gem annie and i had a very short-lived video game podcast where we talked about whatever subject we wanted to that week with the third dude my friend bryce that kind of fell flat because our recording schedule fell apart because none of us were really committed to doing it and i had to go back to work a couple of years later annie is inspired to do the gem jam by listening partially by listening to sailor business so she gets in touch with her friend mac and mac says yeah because they you know watch gem together and they're really into it and then they come to me and they say hey 
do you want to do a podcast about Gem and the Holograms? And I said, I've never seen an episode of Gem and the Holograms in my life. And they say, that's perfect. So. <laughs> oh, okay. So you came to it completely cold. I came to it completely blind. I had no idea what I was in for. I will say that they talked it up as this really, really like off the wall thing. And from watching it, it's like, it's still, it's weird. It's a weird show. It's a lot more narratively coherent than I was led to believe that it was. Like it's, it's you know, characters have characters a bit. There's motivations for stuff. Sometimes. There's a sequence of events that occurs in every episode. It's not a, a hellish fever dream. Like some people who described it to me said it was. So, you know me, I, I also wrote fanfic for Jam, because fuck it. Of course you did. I wrote uh, comic verse Limp Lizards fanfiction. Because of, um, of course you did. Yeah, yeah, I did. It's like very short for me. It's not 40,000 words long my, like my usual method, but <laughs> it's like a 2,000 word piece on the, uh, the fall and the rise and the fall and the rise of the Limp Lizards over the course of like that first comic arc because I was like, I'm always thinking like, what are the Limp Lizards up to during any given arc on this show or in this cart or in this comic? One of them has to get a job to pay the bills and the others try to help and hijinks ensue. And then of course I had to come up with names for the Limp Lizards because they don't have any. What are their names? You can't just lead in like that and not reveal the names of the Limp Lizards. The Limp Lizards names are Komodo, Mutivore, Jurassic Park 3, and Rachel. <laughs> and Rachel. You know, Aerith, Greenman, and Bob. <laughs> they all came up with stage names, and Rachel's wasn't very good, so they just kept calling her Rachel. <laughs> it's like in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Everyone gets, like, a cool name for their secret club, and one of them picks, like, Mavis. And me reading it in 1991 went, what fucking possessed you to think Mavis was a cool name? The only Mavises I know are, like, 60 and cheated cards. <laughs> hey, Mavis is living her truth. <laughs> which just side note never play euchre with <laughs> with ladies from northern ontario who are of a certain age they will they will shark the shit out of you they don't do anything besides play euchre you have no chance <laughs> it's like it would always be like my sister and this latest one lady named donna and then it would be my mom and me as the other team and i would do something and i could hear my sister just go <laughs> I'm like, you really don't have a poker face, do you? You don't need one. <laughs> so the question is, now that yep. Jen has infiltrated your life, I mean, because the thing is, the comics are ongoing, and the comics are really good, mm -hmm. so that's an yep. easy an easy step in. But now that you have many sons, such as Riot <laughs> and Tech Rat, is this, is this about is this... who do I prefer, my Teen Wolf sons or my, te or my uh, Gem sons? That wasn't where it was going, but you know what? I'm going to ask that anyway. Yeah, so <laughs> do you want your wear-shifting sons, or do you want your Glamrock sons? I will say that while the the werewolf sons have like a much a, a significantly slightly better depth of character to them, I've had them with me a lot longer. I will say that my glamrock sons, that just the love is is too strong. It's like it is it is a fierce and burning fire within me that I did not think that I was capable of before I started doing this podcast. <laughs> All I need is an asymmetrical haircut and a pink raincoat and an aversion to being touched. And they're there. Yeah. I was about to make a joke about doing a crossover fanfic between Teen Wolf and Jem, but I realized that I already did a crossover fanfic between <laughs> Teen Wolf and Transformers. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. Previous guest to the show, Angela M. Weber, mentioned in passing that she collected superstitions about drinking, and there was no way that shit was getting past me. So there's no way you can say there's a Transformers crossover fic without having to explain it. <laughs> I mean, it's the crossover literally no one asked for. I just, I started goofing around with some ideas, and I'm not even sure what the genesis of it was, but I was like, hey, you know what would be really funny is if, what if instead of werewolves in Beacon Hills, there was werewolves and Transformers? And like, it kind of went from there, and it's like, it's not long, it's like a 3,000 word fanfic, or like... 5,000, maybe. I'd have to go and check. It was meant to be the start of a series, but I got literally no response to it. <laughs> I think I got, like, <laughs> one comment and a hundred views, and I was like, this is not something that anybody's asking for. <laughs> I think no. maybe I'll shelve this for now. <laughs> so here's the thing. Was it werewolves in the Transformers universe, where there are giant robots from Cybertron, or were these humans shifting into a robot form? It was Transformers crash land on Earth like they do, but they crash land in the Teen Wolf town. Okay. <laughs> that does avoid all the KISS players' implications. It does, but I'm going. I'm not going to lie to you. It did occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
doesn't help that my enabler, my friend Lydia, read this and then said, so Chromia and Laura are going to get together, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> maybe. And then I started thinking about it. And then I was like, no. And then I was like, maybe. I still haven't written it, but I might. <laughs> I'll stand with you. One of the first fanfics I ever read was a Highlander of the series Forever Night crossover where everyone got together and played poker and everyone was super gay. Yeah, well, I think uh, with every fan fiction, you don't actually need to say everyone is super gay. That's just that's just a given. That's fair. <laughs> so you were going to say something about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Do you know anything about D&D &D or is this going to be like a Bionicle type situation? My one tabletop RPG experience was in D&D &D 4th Edition and oh, uh, sorry 3.5 3.5 3. okay that's that's better yeah it was before daily actions or anything like that and i uh, spent all night crafting my one character who was a gnome ranger purely because it, it rhymes with lone ranger and i thought that was funny okay and i specialized in a particular thing where i could use a cultural weapon and get four hits on every turn and i did not spec anything for armor and i died in my very first fight <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something that happens in 3.5 Yep, so then I spent the rest of the evening just finishing the wine that I brought and just making snarky <laughs> comments, which I think is living my truth. <laughs> they didn't They didn't let you roll another character? Nope, I had a hardline GM. Oh, jeez. Actions have consequences, Lucas. That's the worst kind of GM to have at first. You always kind of want the GM who will just let you do whatever for your first couple of levels. Yeah, however, recently I've been playing Feng Shui with a great group uh, led by my friend Alex, who's Eucrit on Twitter, who is a really good, fun GM, who's, who's very happy to roll with whatever crazy shit we pull out of our pockets. And so, yeah, that has been an absolute blast. Plus, I listen to the Adventure Zone a lot, which is not <laughs> Adventure Time, which is what we, we made that mistake earlier on. Yeah, he asked me about Adventure Zone. He said Adventure Time. And while I do listen to the Adventure Zone, I know nothing about Adventure Time, aside from the fact that a friend of mine once wrote a spec script for them and I edited it. That's about it. So he was operating under the assumption. Yes, I thought it was really weird that you had written a sp that you had written a space script for the Adventure Zone, a podcast for an improvised D and D podcast. Yes. yes, that was a that was a hilarious moment of confusion that you guys might get to hear depending on the back matter of this <laughs> podcast. So tell me about your experience with D and D. I got started on it pretty young, like 10 or 11. It was one of those things, it's sort of like Transformers in that I kept coming back to it over my life. Like I would be into it really intensely for a little bit and then it would drop off and then I'd be really into it for a little while. So first time I was into it was around third edition. I think it was third. I don't think it was 3.5 because I remember that it wasn't as fiddly. I mean, it was still fiddly, but in different ways. And that was like, I don't really remember a whole lot about playing because it was like a couple of games and it was just like, it's the kind of game you play when you're like 12 and your DM is 12, which is just you'd want to run and do some bullshit and there's no real plot. You just kind of goof off because you just let your id loose. I think my character was a werewolf. So. <laughs> again, continuing to live your truth. <laughs> We're back here again. After that, like it was just a couple of years of not playing. And then I met a group of friends, like I got involved with a group of friends who some had played D&D, some were interested in playing D&D. I wanted to go back to third edition, but none of the book, I couldn't find any of the books. So I had to go to fourth, which was interesting because a couple of people in my group had played World of Warcraft. So it kind of like grandfathered them in that way. Like they could understand the mechanics of it a little better. But fourth edition is also not conducive to melding your role-playing with your combat. So it was mostly just a lot of improv with the occasional, okay, fuck, we have to get the battle mat out again. And I couldn't pull <laughs> off a lot of the really clever things that I wanted to as DM with that group just because the mechanics weren't flexible enough for it. After a while, like, I didn't have time to keep prepping for D&D &D and nobody else did either, so it just kind of turned into a generic game night and then I lost touch with a lot of people. Then I started this new job where literally everybody plays D&D. &D. And so I picked up 5th edition, I got into the campaign at work. I got into uh, another game with a bunch of friends. I was DMing for uh, my brother for a little bit. I was doing Ravenloft Curse of Strahd, a gothic horror campaign with a bunch of 25-year-old dudes playing murder hobos. That did not work out. <laughs> Stacking your team with murder hobos is like... There's one issue of the Exiles comic book where they put together a team entirely built out of alternate Wolverines and the whole thing goes to hell really quickly because it's a bad fucking idea. For those who are listening who may not be aware, a murder hobo is a type of character in an RPG who has no home and wanders the countryside killing and looting everything they come across. Meeting interesting people and killing them. Yeah, so if you're trying to build gothic atmosphere and scare your players... And they are just killing and or trying to have sex with everything in their path. It's, it doesn't oh, work God. out. Oh, God. Teenagers. Yeah. 
Plus, like, one of the players decided he was in love with one of the NPCs. Nobody wanted to play Cleric, so I had to give them a heal bot. One of the players decided that he was in love with a heal bot, and I didn't feel like being sexually harassed on the regular as part of my duties as DM, so I was just like, oh, I'm too busy to play this game for a while, guys. And I'll just Gee whiz. go back. That's completely understandable. <laughs> I also watch a lot of, like, I listen to The Adventure Zone and I watch Critical Role. And I watch Critical Role live now, like, mm-hmm. when it airs on Twitch. And I understand sports now. <laughs> like, I understand the watching of sports. I get it now, you guys. Because <laughs> I remember the first episode I watched live was, like, a boss fight against, like, an ancient green dragon. And the ancient green dragon was also, like, an 18th level spellcaster. And, like, two characters died. One of them died twice, I think. It was kind of a big, scary thing. And I was on the edge of my seat the entire time and yelling and shouting because I understood the rules and I knew when something bad or good was about to happen. And then, you know, the druid scored a feeble mind on the dragon, rendering it incapable of casting spells. And I screamed and it was about 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) So yeah, I get sports now. (laughs) Damn it, I missed my chance. I was going to do the Garfunkel notes. Participants are heroes thing. (laughs) the moment has passed (laughs) oh i'm sorry that's okay but it's something that i noticed with the feng shui game and i've mentioned this previously on an episode that has not aired yet because you know you spec your character and you give your character a backstory or you give it like an idea of this is how my character is going to jump when pushed essentially and then you just find through emergent gameplay that that's not actually what your character is at all yeah no because i when we were playing feng shui i was playing a scrappy kid and that scrappy kid was meant to be lawful good and kind of like someone who fights bullies and like stands up for the little guy. And I was put in a team with a whole bunch of really serious other characters. Like there was like a Black Widow type spy and like, you know, a cowboy cop and basically the killer from the movie The Killer. And so <laughs> I was there and very quickly I became the fucking goofball of the bunch because I'm like, this is, what can I do? What can I steal? What am I, you know... Well, it's like it's, when you got a lot of serious characters to bounce off, there is a certain personality type that I instinctually detect that you have. Uh-huh. That you're just like, okay, I have to be contrarian to this. <laughs> well, it's, even starting off like in the very first uh, scenario that we were dropped into in Media Res, we were like in a car chase and we managed to defeat an enemy using teamwork. At which point, the minute the that we together defeated this enemy, my character jumped up like Owen Hart and went, Woo! Yes! I'm a winner! I did it all! <laughs> it was all me <laughs> I'm just like, like everyone burst out laughing I'm like right that's my first impression let's just go with that <laughs> yeah tragic backstories rarely survive contact with the enemy in my experience <laughs> exactly it's, it's got to the point like I always try to roll a character who has like one really low stat and that's the extent of my planning for that character right now I'm playing a, uh, in one of my campaigns a dwarf barbarian with a wisdom of six <laughs> That's a minus two on all your wisdom rolls, which includes being able to perceive things that are coming at you. (laughs) God, it would be one of those things like I've listened to the very excellent one shot podcast with James D'Amato and he had a group on to play Red Markets. And yeah, there were because depending on how you play that game, you can play as an infectee or as someone who has it latently. So it affects you and it does stuff like it makes you a little bit dumber and a bit more prone to aggro. Like whenever that character would fail a role, the person playing it wouldn't say, oh, no, that's critical miss, would say, okay, everyone do a quick perception check roll. I saw a moth. I I don't, I followed it over there and then it went away. I I don't know what happened. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically it. My work group tried to take a run at Tomb of Horrors recently. It went badly. Largely because we decided that we were going to play all bards. Yeah, four bards. And actually, we actually had backup bards because we were prepared for our bards to die. So each of us had about five backup bards. So it was actually 30 bards. <laughs> it was a country bard jamboree. We are going to brute force Tomb of Horrors with 30 bards. And actually, it turns out that was the hack. That's how you get through. And also 92 draft horses. It was a gong show, but I was playing a kobold bard and I rolled a six and I put it in strength because I was a bard. When am I going to need strength? I did not realize at the time that kobolds get a minus two to strength. So my kobold had a strength of four. For reference, when your strength is at zero, you fucking die. You are too weak to breathe. So I had a minus three on all strength checks. That was that was good. Oh my god, your kobold was that little kid with the glasses from Little Giants who just wheezed all the time. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. My, my mom says if I touch grass, I could die. <laughs> 
but I had a broom of flight, so actually I made it really far <laughs> because I was just avoiding all of the traps and being incredibly paranoid. One of my favorite role-playing moments was again in that Feng Shui game because again, it's a good game and it only ended like a month ago, so it's very fresh in my mind. At one point, we went into a, like an office and there were a whole bunch of like books and we rifled through the books because we were trying to defuse the sarcophagus bomb because Alex is a genius. I found a book and I'm, and I'm like, so do I find anything? And I rolled a particularly good investigation check. And he's like, yeah, you find a Kama Sutra. Cool, I steal that. <laughs> That's in my bag. And then later which he told me at a later date was because he, he realized he put us in a bunch of rooms where there was no monsters yet. And so he's like, right, I'm going to have a blood golem come out of this font that you find. And it comes out as a hand and we all attack the hand. And without thinking, because I'm like, it's, the hand is goopy. Whenever you attack it, like your attacks go through it. So I pick up the hardback Kama Sutra and I splat that fucker like a mosquito. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, see? <laughs> It's the Runsky method. Sometimes the simplest solution is, and before I finish the sentence, the blood golem came back, but it had absorbed the contents of the Kama Sutra. And so oh it was a giant Indian-styled woman with enormous bloody breasts that was then attempting to kill us by twisting in funny ways. And everyone was really mad at me. I didn't plan this. This was not part of my plan. Feng Shui's fun. Everyone should go play Feng Shui. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you get a plus two attack bonus with a shotgun if you make the ch sound with your mouth. That's in the rules. That shit's canon. <laughs> one that I've always wanted to play, but I could never get a group together for it, is Paranoia. You heard of that one? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Okay, so Paranoia takes place in an underground post-apocalyptic city where everyone fled after the nukes started falling, and it's run by this computer, who is often referred to as Friend Computer. And the thing about Friend Computer is that it has been subjected to so many reprogrammings and has received such bad information about its purpose and the history of the world that it is now functionally psychotic. Friend Computer believes that commies destroyed the world and thus commies must always be rooted out. This, this is a game that was invented at the height of the Cold War. The latest tradition replaces commies with terrorists. So Sure, sure. Not problematic at all. Anyone who is a communist must be killed. It's very satirical in that regard because, you know, you've got a faction. You've got a secret society of communists, but they have such little information about what communism actually entails that it's just like, it's, it's like the whole, most hilarious game of telephone. So it's their manifesto is basically absolute nonsense. So the idea is that you are a security agent whose job it is is to root out communists and enemies of friend computer. So you are a clone. You have built into the game Five backup clones in case you die, which you will, because the equipment you are given is incredibly faulty and has a tendency to explode. You are assigned to not only accomplish your mission, but also keep an eye out for people in your party who might be traitors. Treason is determined by either being a mutant or being a member of a secret society. Every player character is required to be both a mutant and a member of a secret society. <laughs> There are games of paranoia you play where the entire party has died at least once before leaving the mission briefing. <laughs> this is like Swamp Dragon logistics. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's good for the party, less so for the player character who is now laminated across the floor. Everything is determined by like your security clearance, but like not only is, or is it treason to know anything above your security clearance, it's treason to even be aware that there is anything above your security clearance. Your security clearance is graded by colors, and if you look at a color too high on the spectrum, that's treason and you could be executed. So it, <laughs> it's it's a really delightfully nonsense game. <laughs> that's amazing. In the latest edition of Paranoia, there was an entire section on gender that was really good that I'm going to try and find. Yeah, it turns out if you Google Paranoia gender, you don't actually get any useful information. <laughs> Gender and sexual preferences in Alpha Complex. Thanks to hormone suppressants, extensive cloning facilities, real-time pixelation of genitals, and genetically modified bodies and minds, gender isn't as big a concern to those citizens of Alpha Complex as it is to today's society. Gender discrimination is treasonous because it wastes valuable time. Women, men, cisgender, transgender, non-binary, and intersex people are all equally capable of serving the computer, and all of them work equally well as reactor shielding should they fail in their duties, so play whatever gender or non-gender you'd like. Sexuality <laughs> is a different concern. Heterosexual sex is treasonous as it makes a mockery of the computer's extensive cloning facilities. The computer has no official stance on homosexual activity due to lack of programming on the matter and treats it as a form of enthusiastic wrestling that is inadvisable when traitors may be nearby. <laughs> it's important to understand that in paranoia, traitors may always be nearby. <laughs> 
excellent. That's one of those games where you like get people together for a one shot because you know your character's not surviving more than a single <laughs> single game. Don't get comfy, folks. <laughs> don't get attached to your character. <laughs> His name is Bob. Oh God, don't name them. Just call them that guy. <laughs> well, it helps that like it's their name and then their security clearance and then the, the number of clone they are. So as 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 you're working your way through your wait wait are we in a Wayun eight situation? <laughs> yeah yeah you are basically as as your character dies you erase the number and put in the second number because you are now onto the second clone and so on so there's there's six of you you have a six pack of clones <laughs> they basically built a lives system into an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kid. Well, we should probably start wrapping up this fiasco <laughs> podcast. Fiasco is another game I want to try sometime. <laughs> Uh, so if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You can find me on Twitter at Inferior Wit. I am on Tumblr as Secular Baked Goods. You can find my book series Endling at endlingseries.com. You can put a hyphen in there or not. I bought both of them. You can find the podcast The Gem Jam at thegemjam.tumblr.com or at twitter.com slash gemjamcast. We also post most of our I Will Fight You episodes through that as well, so it should be easy to find there. We're supposed to be starting a new YouTube series series called Date Me Damn It, where we play through dating sims. I just got some new hardware that's going to make that physically possible. <laughs> um, also, considering all of my discussion of fanfic, I feel like I should link to my fanfic now. I would not judge you. Go for it. If you want to read my werewolf porn, you can find me on Archive <laughs> of Our Own. Uh, my username is Whittacaster Cole, and because AO3's URL system sucks, I have to look up what my AO3 URL is. Give me a second here. But the URL for that is archiveofourown.org, all one word, slash users, slash Call, all one word. The spelling of that is W-I-T-T-I, Caster Cole, as in the name Cole. <laughs> the stuff that I've written, like, most of my Team Wolf stuff is locked because there was actually a bot that was scraping ebooks off of Archive of Our Own and then selling them. So basically the only way to stop that was to make them private. So you would need an Archive of Our Own account to read those. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much, Kit. This has been fantastic. I hope that I can make a listenable thing out of this. I am very sorry for yelling about Teen Wolf for easily 45 minutes. It's okay. Torque and forget you. <laughs> Thank you very much to Kit Walker for her time. Now, as Kit doesn't drink, I've made a mocktail for the occasion. In a bowl, combine two tablespoons of honey, one tablespoon of lime juice, a teaspoon of cinnamon, and stir to combine. Add five to six rounds of pineapple and allow to marinate. Using a hot grill, caramelize the sides of the pineapple for four to five minutes each side. Then put it in the fridge to cool. When you're ready to make your drinks, Put two rounds in the bottom of a glass with two tablespoons of lime juice and a teaspoon of honey and muddle. When combined, add two tablespoons of orange juice and top up with sparkling water. I was going to name this drink after something Teen Wolf related, but the problem is I haven't actually seen the show, so I went with the only character name I recognized from the films. So this drink is called The Styles. When you're 147 pounds of pale skin and fragile bone, Acidic sarcasm is your only defense. Enjoy.
The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. Just to let you know, I am just about fully booked until the end of the year. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, or Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month, or as much as you want. You could pledge $200. That would really impress me. I would be really impressed if you did that. Patrons get cursive tweets, physical mail, early access to episodes, and I just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave me a five-star rating. You can also write a review, which I really need some more of. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Head on over to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word to find the Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used on the show going all the way back to episode one, including this one. It's A Good Man Is Easy To Kill by Beulah. Isn't that a great title? I update the playlist every Wednesday as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, it's the return, and I'm so excited about this, you guys, of Camille Washington, my second ever guest on the show. It's going to be emotional. Join me, won't you? Did you think you could fly? I made a prayer for you. Hang on, i got to turn down my gain. I'm thinking really bad here. Every time I laugh, which is probably going to happen a lot. <laughs> oh, I learned, I was talking to Annie the other day. And I learned how a waveform acts when you hold a baby anywhere near a microphone. Oh, God. <laughs> it was because it's like I was wrapping up and we were just chatting. And Kim was like, oh, can you just hold the baby for a sec? I have to, like, tie my shoe. And it's like I had a hero and I held him, like, at a distance, like a good maybe, like, 12 inches from the mic. And he just let loose one of those, like, baby squeals of happiness. Oh, God. And I got to watch that waveform just become a block. And it's like, oh, oh, God. I'm so sorry, Annie. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure her hearing will recover eventually. Well, the thing is, Annie also has that disease where cuteness proximity affects her. Oh, God. So she like instantly devolves into, oh, He's a wee baby hero! Oh, he's a tiny baby! And I was like, yeah, okay, that's a better response than, Oh, God, you've deafened me. <laughs> like, you know, congratulations on the parenthood thing. I, I, I don't understand babies. That's fine. I accept that as a valid choice. That's also why I hashtag all of my posts about babies, because I know there are some people who can be like, I can mute your baby, right? Like, yeah, totally. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I could. (laughs) Yeah. There's a thing in a Ben Folds song where he says it's so smooth you can hear the beard. And (laughs) no joke, you can do it with this mic. Just I'll pause it for yeah, close listen. That is me scratching my beard in real time, and the mic picks that up. So I've learned to curb that habit of mine. You should. (laughs) Probably start conditioning your beard. That sounded like steel wool. <laughs> I do use beard oil, which my friend BJ made and tested on her dogs. So apparently her little like mini Foxy and Jack Russell mix were running around the house smelling of like lavender and, and rosemary. There are worse things for a dog to smell like. Yeah, and she's like, well, their hair didn't fall out, so it's probably safe for you to have. Here, have this tiny vial with like a homemade cork stuck into it that looks like if you popped it it would make a spell happen i'm like cool cool cool, cool. i'm just thinking about the fact that she can't put that little sticker that says not tested on animals on it but she did <laughs> she did test it on animals like i normally trim my beard myself because i have a ridiculously curly beard that like loops into itself the pain of someone trying to brush it out and then trim it it's just like no i'll do it myself i'll it'll take too long and you'll charge me too much at a barber the one time i went to my barber and i was like all right fine you can trim it out and he's brushing it out and it tore two teeth off of his comb he sort of looked down and there are the teeth sitting in my beard and i can see them in the mirror and i'm like how do i how do i brush this and i'm like hey uh sorry i know it's a bit like like sheep's wool and he's like he with the same kind of furrowed brow that he's looking at his comb goes no sheep's wool is soft (laughs) 
so it's just like, yeah, so I may have like blushed and melted into my chair and be like, I'm sorry, I'll leave now. I will tip well for destroying your implements. Sorry about all the coughing, by the way. I'm still like recovering from. No judgment. Whatever the fuck it is anymore. <laughs> the creeping lurgy that you had. I'm a medical mystery. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> Everything about it says viral, except for the fact that my white blood cell count is high, which says bacterial. Is it a curse? Have you annoyed anyone with the last name Dispel recently? Well, I mean, this could be some kind of witch rivalry thing. That's true. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, so these ones that are, these return ones are a lot looser than the normal episode. So if you've got stuff to talk about, cool. If not, we'll just kind of get started and take it from there. Yep. Um, did you have anything particular that you wanted to hit? I will probably end up complaining about the fact that I'm all caught up on Teen Wolf. <laughs> Don't fucking judge me, Lucas. I'm not judging you. It's just one of those ones that, like, managed to go straight past me without me ever engaging with the TV show Teen Wolf. But so many people that I know have such angry feelings about Teen Wolf, about choices characters make and stuff. It's like rivaling Supernatural for the most active fandom that I'm not involved in. Teen Wolf, Supernatural, and Overwatch are the three things that I have, like, I have no hand in that. But people get really, really, like, involved. Sounds about right. Overwatch is like Jurassic Park where they substitute in fandom That <laughs> The Adventure Zone made an Overwatch reference in its second-to-last episode, and watching the combined fandoms, like, form of Voltron... <laughs> was kind of amazing. Are you an Adventure Zone person? No, I'm not an Adventure Zone person. Ah, cool. A friend of but mine yeah. once wrote a spec script for the Adventure Zone that I edited for him, <laughs> but that's about the sum total of my knowledge. Well, I was going to say is that at one point, because I'm on their Facebook group, at one point they have a terrible anthropomorphized elevator, which is described as like a Mr. Bucket, if Mr. Bucket had a creepy vor thing. At one point that elevator comes back as like a mech in one of the final episodes, and there have been so many... Like, beautifully rendered, but kind of disturbing images on the Facebook group. Wait, are we talking about Adventure Time or Adventure Zone now? Because I think that was Adventure Zone. Zone. Okay. Yeah, I meant Adventure Zone. Did I say Adventure Time earlier? You said Adventure Time earlier. I know the Adventure Adventure Zone. Zone. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Christ. I know the, yeah, I know the Adventure Zone. I thought you were talking about the thing with the... You want to talk about quietly judging. Teen Wolf didn't get me, saying, oh, I don't really go in for the Adventure Zone. That got the judge. Okay. No, I <laughs> see, that's the problem. You, you've got two shows with very similar names. It's like someone's confusing Orange is the New Black with Orphan Black. I don't watch one of those. I definitely watch the other. And people will get into fights with me if I accidentally <laughs> say that I haven't seen Orphan Black. <laughs> so Orphan Black is the one you watch? Orphan Black is the one I watch. Okay, I haven't cool. seen season five, so shut the fuck up. But yeah, yes. <laughs> I did the same thing that I did with Supergirl, the same thing that I did with Orange is the New Black, same thing I did with Walking Dead. I watched the first season and I, and I said, oh, I'll DVR the second season and then just never did. <laughs> all of season two Supergirl, all of season two Legends of Tomorrow, all of season two Orphan Black are just sitting on my DVR. I just wait for them to come out on the streaming services because I don't have cable. Yeah, see, I, I didn't either until Kimiko and I moved in together and she had it like for her job because she worked in TV. So I am now like deep into the DVR lifestyle and be like watching three episodes of Jeopardy a night. It's fantastic. Jeopardy. Yes. So you just leapt straight into old man territory now. <laughs> it's one of those things. And the thing is, I can only compare this to hockey, which is something that I think as a fellow Canadian, you will appreciate in that. Okay. When I'm in Canada, I would never describe myself as a hockey person. I may have had my team growing up, mostly despite my mother, because she was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So I like aggressively went for Montreal because that made her mad. But the thing is, not being a hockey person in Canada means you still absorb a lot of information about hockey. Yeah, it's it's by osmosis. You just, you, you know hockey now. Exactly. It's one of those things where I then came to Australia and was shocked at the amount that I remembered of this thing that I wasn't terribly interested in growing up. And then occasionally, like, maybe 12 or 13 years in the country, I'll, like, spot it on TV and it'll, like, resonate with some, like, forgotten cobwebbed bit of my soul. And I'll just, find, like, I'll be at a bar or something and one tiny TV in the corner will have hockey on and I will just continually be getting distracted and being like it's it's hockey I haven't seen hockey in years I haven't heard that name for a long time 
The Oilers were just in the playoffs and live in one of the major drinking districts in Edmonton, so there was a lot of woohoo boys in my neighborhood <laughs> making noise late into the night. And you could always tell when we lost a game because there was a lot of revving of engines because everyone had to reaffirm their masculinity now that their hockey team lost. Yep. The thing with Jeopardy, it's the same, where it's like, I had been without it for so long I almost forgot it was a thing. <laughs> and then realized it was on, like, Foxtel Classics, which is the same place where they do, like, reruns of I Love Lucy and Gunsmoke and shit like that. And then I realized that, like, I was at my girlfriend's house, I'm like, oh, cool, Jeopardy, can we watch this? And it was fun. And then I'm like, well, maybe can you DVR it so I can watch it next time? And then we found out they show three episodes a night. So your DVR is completely full of Jeopardy, is what you're saying? There are several pages of my DVR where it's just endless episodes of Jeopardy. But because you're watching them in, in quick succession, you get to watch like the stories of various champions, including <laughs> my favorite, who was like this, what I can only say is a cartoon of a librarian with like a flower pot haircut and these huge glasses. And everything was talking like this. What is Puxatani? And then they get to her in the, the interview part in the middle. And Alex Trebek is like, you're a librarian, and I say this in the best compliment, you have the demeanor of a librarian. You're very calm and you're very serious. What do you do for fun? And with the same face and the same voice, she looks at him and she goes, I knit. <laughs> and pet my cat. I'm living a stereotype. <laughs> and I'm like, you're amazing. I love you. This is the best person alive. Yeah. And then she proceeded to trounce the shit out of her two young male competitors by like a measure of 40 grand. <laughs> I'm like, yes, go, you juggernaut. I've never heard of this person and I love her. Her name was Margaret and she's a librarian from North Carolina and she's my favorite. <laughs> Where was I going with this? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Backing up, backing up. Uh, we were talking about... See, I was going to say, I can, I can vamp for a little if you want. <laughs> oh, God. I, I was explaining who okay. the character was. Why was I explaining who the character was? Mm, magic. Uh, I remembered. I remembered why I was explaining who this character was. Good. My Sean Esten story has served a purpose. You're already past the Roxy Rumble episode, which was my absolute favorite, because I got really yeah, mad. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I got really mad that in the States they tax your lottery winnings, and I thought that was bullshit. <laughs> Even as a kid, I'm like, wait, if you win a million dollars, why do you have to give them $500,000? I don't get it. My socialist Canadian tendencies coming through. 